went to, to the in the wilderness. Uh, in the first section, it involved some instructions keep, of keeping the Passover. That's what we talked about this morning. The next section deals with the problem of defilement. And it's quite easy to become defiled in the world that we live in today. We see a lot of stuff going on in this world that just isn't right. It's downright sinful. And we have to rub shoulders with people that are not saved sometimes. And it's real easy to get dirty if you're not careful. That word defiled means polluted, unclean. We live in a polluted world, and I don't mean in the sense of sewage or air pollution. Uh, we don't have too much air pollution up here in the northern part of Wisconsin. You go to some of the big cities and you have to uh, deal with some of that, but that's not kind of pollution we're talking about. There are some people who worry about the environment, uh, the earth and the air, and, and uh, yet they have no concern about the environment in their home. There's a lot of filth on the television, movies. A lot of homes are, have a lot of alcohol, smoke, drugs, immorality, free thinking concerning the flesh. And we might expect that from ungodly believers, but many times it affects you and I as Christians as well. So let's look first of all at the complications from defilement. The complications from defilement. And we want to look here at verse 6 and 7 to begin with. There were, in the cert there were certain men who were defiled by the dead body of a man, that they could not keep the Passover on that day. And they came before Moses and before Aaron on that day. And these men said unto him, We are defiled by the dead body of a man. Wherefore are we kept back, that we may not offer an offering to, of the Lord in his appointed season among the children of Israel? Here's the problem. Two men were defiled by a dead body of a man, Maybe they had gone to a funeral of some sort. You know, if you remembered what we studied about the Nazarite vow a number of weeks ago, one of the aspects of that vow was not to touch a dead body. Now, not everyone took that vow. But you can see this was an important concept in the Old Testament days. These men may have found the dead body in the countryside. We don't really know. Some think it might have been Mishael and Elizaphan who buried their cousins Nadab and Abihu. And they did that within a week of the Passover. Uh, we see that in Leviticus 10. There's a, that possibility, but we're not really told. Whoever it was, these men wanted to observe the Passover feast, but God's law commanded that they could not keep the Passover if they were defiled or unclean. And it's interesting to note that for this reason, again, we talked about the Pharisees this morning, and uh, we talked about graves, grave markers, sepulchers. It's interesting to note that the sepulchers were painted white before the feast in Jerusalem in order to avoid the risk of, 
of defilement. If you went across a grave or without thinking, you would touch the grave, you would be defiled because you were touching the grave of a dead body. Now, if you remember, the Lord Jesus referred to these scribes and Pharisees. We mentioned this this morning in our Sunday school class. The scribes and Pharisees were called whited sepulchers in Matthew chapter 23, verse 27, where it says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead man's bones and of all uncleanness. And so he was scolding them for the hypocrisy and their need to clean up their lives, which were defiled. Now, I believe their defilement was something they could have prevented or taken care of, but sometimes defilement comes along unexpectedly, comes in various forms. Defilement could be something that happened unexpectedly in most situations, but it did happen. Listen, life is full of unexpected events, is it not? I mean, you don't expect to get sick you wake up one morning and you, ugh, I'm not so, feeling so good. Uh, life is full of unexpected things. It's full of sickness. There's death. I mean, you don't have an accident on purpose, do you? You don't drive off the road. And, no. It's unexpected. There are setbacks in per, uh, people's lives. Some things happen because of sin, and yet other times... They just happen because God has a purpose for them. Think about someone you know that has a sickness or a disease or a cancer. And maybe all of a sudden it come on unexpectedly. I mean, here a few days ago, we didn't expect the loss of the son of James and Ashley. That was very unexpected, wasn't it? Not even a four-month-year-old little boy who dies in his crib. It's unexpected. It's tragic. And we hear stories on the television, if you watch the news, or uh, of accidents, of murders, of crimes committed. Yes, there's uh, sin involved. There's uh, that which is uh, against God's will. And we do our best even ourselves, to do, uh, be prepared for unexpected things, even especially for death. We never know when we might be involved in a trial or even when we might come to that point where we have to make our uh, uh, appointment with, with God. Has an, we have an appointment with God. Uh, uh, is once, uh, it's appointed unto men once to die. That may be unexpected or we might think, you know, I don't know if I'm going to make it through this sickness or this cancer. And so we try to prepare. The writer of Hebrews tells us it is appointed unto men once to die, and then the judgment. And so we need to be absolutely sure of our eternal destination. 2 Corinthians 6.2 For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted... And in the day of salvation I have succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We don't put that off. James 4.14 Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, 
For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. You know, when surprises come into our lives, what can we do? When unexpected things, unexpected death of a loved one, or unexpected sickness, unexpected trials, what do we do? Trust God. Trust God. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not to thy own, unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Moses took his unexpected problems to the Lord. And so we notice here, as we continue on, the consultation, the consultation with the Lord in the next verse, verse 8. It says there, And Moses said unto them, Stand still, and I will hear what the Lord will command concerning you. So in verse 8, we find here the consultation. God is trying to get us to do the same thing when these things come in, into our lives, especially when problems arise. Stand still. We tend to scurry about with our plans, and yet God says, wait a minute, stand still. Job 37:14 says hearken unto this O Job stand still and consider the wondrous works of God. Psalm 46 and verse 10 be still and know that I am God I will be exalted among the heathen I will be exalted in the earth. God wants us to stop rushing around and crowding him out of our lives we're to stop rambling on at the mouth and, and resisting the Lord. We're to stand still and trust God. Lamentations three twenty seven through 29. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. He sitteth alone and keepeth silence because he hath borne it upon him. He putteth his mouth in the dust. If so be there may be hope. You see, God wants us to seek him especially during those times of trial. Isaiah 55, 6, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. And so we have the complications from defilement. We have the consultation with the Lord. Thirdly, we have the clarification. The clarification from the Lord. And we see this in verses 9 through 14. Notice verse 9. It says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, If any man of you or of your posterity shall be unclean by reason of a dead body, or in a journey afar off, yet he shall keep the Passover unto the Lord. The fourteenth day of the second month, or even they that shall keep it, and eat with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall leave none of it unto the morning, nor break any bone of it. According to all the ordinances of the Passover, they shall keep it. But a man, but a man that is clean and is not in the journey and forbeareth to keep the Passover, even the same soul shall be cut off from among his people, because he brought not the offering of the Lord in his appointed season, that man should bear his sin. And if a stranger should sojourn, 
among you and will keep the Passover unto the Lord according to the ordinance of the Passover and according to the manner thereof, so shall he do. Ye shall have one ordinance both for the stranger and for him that was born in the land. And so the alternative plan here was to celebrate the Passover on the 14th of the second month instead of the first month. If a man qualified to keep this event, but he didn't, he would be cut off. Did you see that there? He would be cut off. I looked up that phrase, cut off. You know what it means? Be put to death. You say, wow, that's pretty harsh. That's pretty severe punishment, isn't it? You might also say, I'm, not, I'm sure glad I'm not under the Old Testament ceremonial law today. Folks, listen, we're not going to be put to death for someone missing a service in the local church, or even if you don't obey God's clear command to remember Christ's death by observing the Lord's Supper, but neglect has its consequences all through the Bible. Notice, neglect of duty brings judgment. Matthew 7 and verse 6 says, And every one that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. Neglect of duty brings judgment. Secondly, neglect brings rebuke. Matthew 25, verse 24. Then he which hath received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art an hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. But, and I was afraid, and went and hid thy talent in the earth, and lo, there thou hast that is thine. The Lord answered him, excuse me, the Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. Neglect brings rebuke. It's not only rebuke, but it's the loss of, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So neglect of duty brings judgment. Neglect brings rebuke. Neglect brings chastisement. Luke 12 and verse 47, And that servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. And then neglect is sinful. James 4:17 Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him it is sin. I think the lesson here is that we dare not neglect the Lord's work and our responsibility to live faithfully. Every day of the week. Not just one day. Not just for an hour, but every day of the week. Neglect brings judgment. Neglect brings rebuke. Brings chastisement. Brings sin. It is sinful. So the complications you see here from defilement, the consultation with the Lord, the clarification from the Lord, but notice something here very interesting 
in this chapter, the cloudy pillar of fire. I think we're familiar with the, direct, the guiding uh, objects, or you could say the guiding signs that God used to lead the children of Israel around the wilderness. You notice, first of all, it was a visible sign. The pillar was a visible sign of God's presence. It visibly indicated that he was among them. Now, based upon Exodus chapter 14 and verse 24, the two descriptions of the cloud and the fire are combined. It would seem that the pillar did not really change its form. Notice what it says in Exodus 14, verse 24. And it came to pass that in the morning watch, the Lord looked unto the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and of the cloud and troubled the host of the Egyptians. And so the upper portion was the pillar of fire that would illuminate the skies in the darkness of the cold desert nights, and the lower portion perhaps was a blanket of clouds shading them from the sun. That seems to be the description here of the pillar. Isaiah 4 and verse 5 says, And the Lord will create upon every dwelling place of Mount Zion and upon her assemblies a cloud and smoke by day and the shining of a flaming fire by night, for upon all the glory shall be, my, shall be a defense. So here we have the smoke indicating a burning during the day. But you notice the pillar took several forms. First of all, it would be called a pillar of guidance. Uh, this speaks of a column rising up in the sky, a cloudy pillar. It was something that would, could be seen both by day and by night. As long as they could follow and see that pillar, they would know the direction. But at the same time, it was a wall of protection. Again in Exodus chapter 14, verse 19 and 20, it says, And the angel of God, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them. And the pillar of the cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. And it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. And it was a cloud and darkness to them, but it gave light by night to these, so that one came not near the other all the night. Now that... The Israelites might not be troubled at the appearance of their enemies and that the Egyptians might not be able to discern the object of their pursuit. The pillar of cloud moved from the front to the rear of the Israelites' camp so it was perfectly to separate them and the Egyptians. It also appears that this cloud had two sides. One was dark and the other was luminous. The luminous side gave light for the whole camp of Israel. And the dark side turned toward the pursuing Egyptians, prevented them from receiving any benefit from that light. How easily can God make the same thing an instrument of destruction as well as construction? An instrument of salvation as well as an instrument of judgment. You 
You see, God alone can work by all means, and he can produce any kind of effect even by the same instrument, for all things serve the purposes of his will. Notice also here that this pillar, a visible sign, was a roof of covering or covering. Psalm 105.39 says, He spread a cloud for a covering and fire to give light in the night. I like what Spurgeon said about this particular verse in Psalm, Psalm 105.39. Never people were so favored. What would not travelers in the desert now give for such a canopy? The sun could not scorch them with its burning ray. Their whole camp was screened like a king in his pavilion. Nothing seemed too good for God to give his chosen nation. Their comfort was studied in every way. And fire to give light in the night. While cities were, were swathed in darkness, their towns of tents enjoyed a light which modern art with all its uh, defense, excuse me, with all of its appliances could not equal. God himself was their sun and shield, their glory and defense. Could they, not, uh, could they be unbelieving while they were so graciously shaded or rebellious while they walked at midnight in such a light? Alas, the tale of their sin is an extraordinary as the story of his love. But this psalm selects the happier theme and dwells only upon the covenant of love and faithfulness. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. We too have found the Lord all of this for us, I trust. For he has been our sun and our shield. He has preserved us like the peril, uh, like from alike from the perils of ivies and evils of grief. He hath been my joy and woe, cheered my heart when it was low, and with warning softly sad, calmed my heart when it was glad. So, has that promise been fulfilled for us? The sun shall not hurt thee by day, nor the moon by night. This was a pillar. It was a, uh, a pillar of guidance. It was a wall of protection. It was a roof of covering. But notice, not only a visible sign here, but secondly, a picture of the Holy Spirit. And I want This is the lesson I think we should apply to our lives as we live in a world full of defilement. You say, we're not wandering through a desert and we don't need a, a big uh, pillar cloud in front of us to show us which way go, we can go. We've got GPS, right? Well, we need the guidance of God to make our way through the defilement of this world, which could be likened unto the wilderness. And this is the lesson I want us to apply to our lives tonight as we live in this world full of defilement. First of all, it's a picture of the Holy Spirit, but it was not given until they were delivered. Remember, there was first the slaying of the lamb, and then there was the giving of the cloud. In the New Testament, the cross and the resurrection came first, and then the Holy Spirit was given And so, 
The Spirit of God indwells us when we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior. So the Holy Spirit is not given until we've been saved, until we've been delivered. And so the cloud, the pillar, was not given until they had been delivered. Secondly, it was a gracious gift to Israel. No one asked for a guide. It was, the, it was God's provision of His grace and mercy. The apostles did not request a comforter, but God gave them one. And He gave you and me one as well. John fourteen sixteen through 17 says, And I will pray the Father, and He shall give you another comforter, that He may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth Him not, neither knoweth Him, but ye know Him, for He dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I hope you can see the, the picture here. The Spirit of God is our comforter. He's our parakletos, the one who's called alongside of us to help us. He helps carry our load. He keeps us company during the wilderness journey of life. 1 John 2 and verse 1, My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Romans chapter 8, verse 26 and 27, Likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered, and he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit is our comfort. And this Holy Spirit who comforts us is also praying for us. Notice a third aspect of this picture. It's a guide for the wilderness. The pillar gave direction to the people of Israel. And so the Holy Spirit guides us as believers as well. Romans 8.14 For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. John sixteen thirteen. Howbeit, when He, the Spirit of Truth, is come, He will guide you into all truth. For He shall not speak of Himself, and whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak, and He shall show you things to come. Psalm thirty two verse eight. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Acts sixteen six and seven. And when they had all gone through. Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia after they were come to Myasia, uh, they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. You see, the Holy Spirit guides our stops as well as our steps. The stops as well as the steps are from the Lord. See, I can't understand why I can't do what I think I should be doing here. Well, maybe it's God saying, no, that's not the direction you need to go. That's happened in my life. And then I've seen the steps where he's guided me to go forward in this direction. A guide for the wilderness. Fourthly, he gave light, it gave light to the people. 
The pillar lighted the path and gave clear direction. Israel was thoroughly furnished day or night. Travel at night was much cooler uh, through the desert. So if they wanted to move through the desert during the night, they had a light to guide them. And they chose this method. Uh, we find this in Numbers chapter 9 here, verse 21. It says, And so it was when the cloud abode from even unto morning, and that the cloud was taken up in the morning, then they journeyed, whether it was by day or by night, that the cloud was taken up, they journeyed. The Holy Spirit also gives us light. He gives us direction. He teaches us. He reveals truth to us. Again in John 14:26, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. 1 Corinthians 2.10, But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. Isaiah 30 and verse 21, And thine ears shall hear the word behind thee, saying, This is the way, walk ye in it. When you turn to the right hand and when you turn to the left. Notice, fifthly, that God spoke from the pillar. It tells us in Psalm 99, verse 7, He spake unto them in the cloudy pillar. They kept His testimonies and the ordinance that He gave them. Exodus 33 and verse 9 tells us, And it came to pass as Moses entered into the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. Now, the Holy Spirit will speak to us today as well. Now, how does he do it? Is it an audible voice? No. Is it through dreams and revelations? No. Is it through speaking in other tongues? No. Romans 8.16 says, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. 1 John 3.24, And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. The Holy Spirit uses the Word of God to reveal his will to us. Psalm 119.105, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Number six, the pillar was darkness to the Egyptians. Now we've already noted this from Exodus 14 and verse 20, but God not only reveals, God can conceal. Matthew 11:25. At that time, Jesus answered and said, "I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and the prudent, and hast revealed them unto uh, to them unto babes." 1 Corinthians 2.14 But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Someone might say, well, I just I have a hard time understanding the Bible. You know, if someone says that, it could be they have never trusted Christ as their personal Savior. If you're not a child of God, you will not understand the Word of God. 
When you trust Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live within you, and the Holy Spirit's ministry is to guide you and give you understanding to the things of God. Now, you won't be a fully mature Christian just because you get saved, but as you grow in the Lord, the Holy Spirit will teach you and guide you, and you'll learn and you'll understand what the Bible is saying. There's one other thing to note about this cloudy pillar. It was never taken away while in the wilderness. It was never taken away while they were in the wilderness. Nehemiah 9.19 says, Yet thou in thy manifold mercies forsookest them not in the wilderness. The pillar of the cloud departed not from them by day to lead them in the way, neither the pillar of fire by night to show them light and the way wherein they should go. John 14, 16 says, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Hebrews 13, 5, Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Ephesians 1, 13, In whom ye also trusted, after that he heard the word, ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You see, the fact that we're sealed by the Holy Spirit indicates our security in him, God's ownership of us, and the finished transaction of our salvation. If you know the Lord as your Savior tonight, you can rely upon the Holy Spirit of God to be your guide. And he'll never leave you. He'll never be taken away from you while you're on this life's journey. The story is told of a woman who had waited until the last minute to send Christmas cards. This wouldn't be anybody here, would it? I thought I'd tell this story to remind us to get your Christmas cards ready. You know, it's time to get them out there. Well, this lady rushed to the store and she brought a, bought a package of 50 cards without really looking at them. She said, oh, these look nice. But she didn't really read them or see what was inside. So in a hurry, she addressed 49 of the 50 cards and signed them without reading the message inside the card. And on Christmas Day, when things were finally quieted down, she happened to run across that leftover card. And finally, she read the message that she had sent in the 49 cards to all of her friends. And much to her dismay, it read like this. This card is just to say... A little gift is on the way. And so suddenly she's realizing that 49 of her friends are expecting a gift from her. A gift that would never come. And like the 49 friends, there are people today expecting to go to heaven when they die. But they will not. Because they do not know Christ as their Savior. And so, if a person knows the Lord, then he knows he's on his way to heaven. There are some people who think they're going to heaven, they're not going to go because they're not saved. I trust that's 
not true of anyone here tonight, but if it would be, if you have not trusted Christ, then do, do so. When a person does this, the Holy Spirit will be to us like the pillar of cloud and the fire in the wilderness. He'll be our guide. Let's pray. Our Father.